how we change the world. The crazy ones, right? Isn't that what the Apple commercial said? <laughs> Does that mean I'm an Apple? A bit in Apple. <laughs> a bit what? A bit in Apple, you know. A little bit <laughs> in the Apple. I'm a bit in Apple? Yeah, but that's a good thing because you've been bitten by the bug of life, which is to, to, oh. to like be the best. As long as it means I have a worm. Hello, welcome. So glad to have you. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. So today, I thought we would sit down with our resident expert on mental health and other things. Brandy but then they're going to notice I'm crazy. That's okay. That's all right. Okay, good. That's how we change the world. The crazy ones, right? Isn't that what the Apple commercial said? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> does that mean I'm an apple? Mm, a bit in apple. <laughs> a bit what? A bit in apple, you know. A little bit <laughs> in the apple. I'm a bit in apple? Know. Yeah, but that's a good thing because you've been bitten by the bug of life, which is to, to, oh. to like be the best. As long as it means I have a worm in me. Oh. <laughs> oh, I love that. It's going to be for the funnies. Oh, Brandy. Hello. Welcome. So glad to have you. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. Good. So you're smart. Tell us about you and who you are. Welcome to Transatlantic Conversations, the podcast. Um, I'm Brandy Sewell. Um, I am a nurse. I have worked in healthcare in some capacity for over 20 years now, which makes me feel very old, but it's, it's true. Um, that's only pre-9-11. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I like, I like walks in the park. I have two children. I'm a single mother. Oh, I was a manager for a political campaign for a while, uh, <clears throat> a few years ago for a progressive candidate uh, who did not win because our area is far too conservative for that. <laughs> but, <laughs> All the more reason to burn the area down and grow well, a new area. It would be nice, but, you know, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I've thought about moving, but... We have space for you in California. Mm-hmm. Come join I, the final I the blue coast. Have, if I had, you know what, if I had more familiar support as a single mom, I would not mind moving there at all. But uh, right now, with my children being young, uh, it makes it difficult because uh, child care is outrageous. Uh, the cost and, I mean, until my kids get a little older... I'll probably be staying around here. <laughs> but, so, well, I think this kind of highlights something with the people who say if people don't like the coming decision of SCOTUS to, oh, they can just move to a state that yeah, has that's better not rights. Feasible. No that. way. That's yeah, not just feasible. Not a feasible an average person. No, it is not. Now, um, isn't that, isn't that, doesn't that reminiscent of like a certain kind of behavior that, um, that way of thinking? And, and I think it is, and I think it's covered in a book that we're reading currently. I'm reading, Brandy's reading, and we're all at least reading the spark next for, uh, which is Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. And she actually goes into cognitive dissonance, which is what is happening and what there's like comments of, oh, you get out of here. Like, you, that's so, like, you're so disconnected. Like, really? Yeah, I'm just going to up and please. Like, so I'd like to talk about that today, all of us here, uh, about cognitive dissonance, the paradox, kind of what's going on in, in the political world, and try to get to the bottom of um, how we can, as sane people, or mostly sane people, 
uh, can navigate this crazy, crazy arena of life. Cognitive dissonance here stated by Brene and the research team that she has is a state of tension that occurs when a person holds two conditions or two cognitions, ideas, attitude, beliefs, or opinions that are psychologically inconsistent with each other. Smoking is a dumb thing to do because it could kill me. I smoke two packs of cigarettes a day, that type of thing. So that is, at least from the research from this and who we're, we're in referencing to, uh, that's their research and that's their, that's their definition. So Brandy? Yeah, she um, even goes on to, to show that um, having cognitive dissonance is, can help promote cult-like behavior. And so there is a researcher um, that... His name is Tavares and Aronson explained that in 1954, the social psychologist Leon Festinger and two of his associates infiltrated a doomsday cult to find out what would happen if the leader's prophecy failed to be fulfilled. The leader had promised her followers that the world would end on December 21st, 1954, but that they would be picked up by a flying saucer and transported to safety at midnight on December 20th. Two researchers explained that many of her followers quit her quit their jobs, gave away houses, dispersed their savings in anticipation of the end, because of course, who needs money in our space? And others waited in fear or resignation in their homes. Festinger predicted that the believers who had not made a strong commitment to the prophecy would quietly lose their faith. And those who had given away their possessions and waited with their other believers for the spaceship would double down on their belief in her mystical abilities. He predicted that even if the prophecy did not materialize, the followers who lost the most would demonstrate their increased commitment by doing, quote, whatever they could to get others to join them. At the time, this hypothesis blew the doors off of every existing theory about motivation and human behavior. It was unthinkable that people would double down once proven wrong. But by 4.45 a.m., when the spaceship was a no-show, their leader shared a new vision of the world because of their strong faith that they had been spared. As hypothesized by Festinger, the most invested members responded by calling the media with their great news. And they became even more invested evangelists for the group. So they justified themselves. Literally. They doubled down. She also says um, prior to this that the combination of rumination and nostalgia based in like the United States from their research was destructive and disconnecting. And if you are wondering how dangerous the combination can be, think back to the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol Capitol on January 6, 2021, or examine the strategy used by every authoritarian leader in history to exploit fears by photoshopping a picture of yesteryear to everything in history and that giving people the things that they wanted it to be but never was to seduce people into believing that a make-believe past could exist again and give some give them someone to blame for ruining the picture and not being able to restore the mythical utopia because it is a make-believe concept that it was better back then wow okay so i feel like like that whole that whole thing like they're playing chess up there is like even more accurate now that is so incredible so so what we're what we're learning so we always thought if you just present the evidence and the and the conclusions then people will automatically be like oh well that makes sense okay cool but apparently 
I I do that. Well, it took me a long time. I used to, it took me a long time, but I got there. So so what we're seeing, the research is showing that when when people are proven wrong, they double down. And that is what's leading to what leads to this uh, ideology that's occurring nowadays, which then was used by this one individual to create an image of the past that didn't exist. And then like created an event that was in response to this nostalgic world that never existed. And then now the reason why they did it was because they were trying to restore the values of a country that is not whatever it ever was. And now we're it here in 2020. It worked for them, but maybe yeah. not for everyone. It was it one worked. where they felt more secure and safe, but most committed to the idea. So mm. some people quietly will lose their faith in it. Okay. But the so people Lucy, who are most committed to the idea, or maybe have the mo- most to lose because they became committed to this idea, those yeah. are the people that will double down. Those are the people that would actually go and do more destructive things perhaps, you know, or say, or whatever to, because they have more to lose. They have more to lose. Therefore they have to double down on what their ideal is, whether it's founded in reality or not. In a lot of these instances, you do feel like they are disconnected from reality because, you know, you're looking at it. And if you do look at the evidence, you see that crime was higher in the past. All like, uh, objectively, you can look at like, money and sure you know you take into account inflation and you see that in some instances wealth was it's a very tricky topic because now we know there's less wealth distribution and there's more hoarding and collecting of wealth however generally you can see that there's a trend in the positive for uh overall wealth in general um but you have these people who are just they have kind of built into this uh they've kind of submitted to this I, I want to call it a cult of personality just in general, but this like uh, more conservative belief that if we were to travel backwards into the past, it would be better. And you do see who that would benefit. It benefits cis head white guys. And that's sometimes it makes me feel like, oh, and I understand we can't, we don't understand other people's emotions without talking to them. However, I feel the evidence supports the belief that they'd like to go back to that so they can consolidate their power still still maintain this belief of i'm on cho- i'm on top of everything and you can kind of see that with the rise of like the alt-right and whatnot you, you can prove to them with metrics with evidence hey things are getting better in some regards you are safer now and society is going on a better general direction but they still default to these weird cultish behaviors of no, 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 no. I believe this. I don't believe that. I believe this. I don't believe that. And you can see that like cognitive dissonance for a lot of the stuff that, that they speak on. I agree. And I, I have a question. Do you think it has to do with toxic masculinity? Oh, without a doubt. I, I feel like a lot of the people that subscribe to this thought and idea are perpetuating toxic ma- masculinity, whether or not they are aware of it. And even some women do, you know, um, because they are conditioned and because they are benefiting from in their yeah. lives from toxic masculinity, not necessarily because they've, they've somehow convinced themselves through cognitive dissonance that they are better off and benefiting from that paradigm well yeah like like take a look at like for instance for the people who are uh femme presenting who who subscribe to that belief they feel that uh 
a return to those values is somehow going to benefit them. But they recognize that a loss of rights is not a benefit. Like there's a paradox here. You losing your rights, you losing the abilities, you be being returned to somebody's property. Because let's look at it, you know, like let's call it for what it was back then as a woman. You are the property of whoever it is, your husband or your father, essentially, because you weren't allowed to open bank accounts, you weren't allowed to have land. Essentially, you are giving up your rights to, for instance, work, to own that bank account, to have credit. And these people are like we recognize that this is a loss of rights and that this is a negative. But to these people, somehow they've tr they've convinced themselves that this is somehow better than what we've got now and what we're what we were attempting to move towards. So I would say this is a very like like somehow. Well, we know how. Like we live in a patriarchal society, um, and that has affected some people, and some people have bought into it. Um, so yeah, I, I hardly see how that how toxic masculinity because. Toxic masculinity does come about from a patriarchal society. It doesn't necessarily have to, and it could be uh, disjointed slash uh, mutually mutually exclusive. But we can see what's happened. We can see it in effect here, and we can see how it relates to people. Yeah, it's like as soon as you give up your autonomy, which you can fall prey to having someone else or even the government or whoever, it's someone else making decisions for you about what is best for you. That is not autonomous. That is not, you're not able to be your own person. You're not able to express yourself. And while there are consequences to all of our autonomous behavior and things that we decide for ourselves that does not mean we should not have the right to make those decisions oh yeah i'd agree with that i well i should put the caveat i agree with that within reason you know obviously i agree with that wholeheartedly i also at the same time agree with wearing masks and i know how some people could probably try to relate the two as being disjointed or whatnot or just yes. impossible but you know you have the right to do with yourself however you see fit so long as it's not you know hurting another person so yes. I see I see it as like you should have the right to just uh, I see that you should have certain rights and certain freedoms however when it comes to like a greater risk the greater good. others yeah like you can't be, destroy I'll... thousands of lives because you make a single choice yes exactly that's exactly uh -huh. what I see. And if you're belief. destroying thousands of lives because you're making a single choice, you should be held accountable. You should. Yeah. Wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly agree. And that includes Congress men and women who make choices for the people. Oh, yeah. Well, in this instance, they should be held accountable I'm very well. radical in my ideas. So that's why I, I don't voice my opinion on that much. But if it were up to me, there would be guillotines. I would be like, sorry, Congress. <laughs> in theory, in theory it, it sounds nice, right? <laughs> mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that these, you know, 80-year-old, super wealthy, predominantly conservative, uh, predominantly white dudes should have the ability to pass laws about shit that just doesn't really affect them. And I rec recognize this is a uh, democratic republic and it's supposed to be a representative uh, government. But I honestly feel that like with our current system, it's not representative of the actual people because of certain things like not necessarily electoral college, but I do agree that gerrymandering is a major issue. That's why you have these places that'll be predominantly uh, minority groups that are 
still held by like super crusty old white conservative dudes like they're completely disenfranchised from their voting I'm, i yeah. mean yeah and i will say this too is that i feel that money and corporations should be held accountable for their part in what our political system has become as well oh yeah without a doubt i think things because like, um... i feel like so many congress people are through donations mm-hmm. to certain ideologies well, I feel like uh, a good point you were making was with the corporations allowing uh, some of the systems. Like, have you been following the Filipino presidential elections? I have not, but I'm interested. Yeah. So um, not too long ago, there was a dictator who was running the Philippines by the uh, the Marcos uh, regime. They implemented, um, what was it, uh, martial law. They stole billions. It was it's literally in the Guinness Books of World World Records as the most money stolen from a government oh scam. And things like Facebook allowed the son of this of this dictator to spread as much dim- disinformation as possible to the point where this person has just won the election again. So I feel that we can see through evidence, through objective fact, that these corporations have quite a bit of responsibility that they are neglecting so allowing disinformation freely like that i understand you know first amendment i get that however there should be some caveats to being allowed to spread disinformation (laughs) and i recognize that to some that's scary because it's like well if the state gets to determine what is disinformation that's terrifying i recognize that but at the same time there needs to be some sort of responsibility for allowing people like donald trump to go on a platform and be like just the random silly stuff that man would say on his or saying yeah i feel like he perpetuated the idea that covid was not going to be an issue when i believe in fact he knew it was um well he said he knew that it was he remember i i personally uh, I did, was not tested, nor were there tests available, but right before there was a, a lockdown in December of, um, I think, what what year was that, 2019, mm-hmm. I had signs and symptoms of COVID, and it did not go away, and I believe uh, there were a lot of people going into the um, hospitals that had signs and symptoms before before there was a lockdown, before it was acknowledged at all. It, it was called pneumonia, down. but it was it was actually caused from the virus. It wasn't actual like they were maybe developing pneumonia because of having COVID, but not they were not aware that that's what was causing it until after the fact and the data came out. Well, I feel like he he holds a lot of responsibility through his inactions, and a lot of people did tell him this is very serious. You need to start taking action. And he, mm-hmm. he just, he was lazy and a piece of crap. Like when there was that Ebola outbreak, you didn't see a, a, a worldwide pandemic of Ebola because we took action. We it created a team that was supposed to be a response to pandemics. And the moment uh, Donald Trump took office, he, uh, he got rid of that team. That same well, team that was designed. Well, he listen to the World Health Organization, no, which has didn't. been respected and widely used throughout the world using science using data using you know very important information that the medical community has been relying on for many many years to prevent disease treat diseases 
all kinds of things. And it's just, he completely just destroyed their reputation just from a few words that he said, which he, he doesn't even have. He does not have the knowledge. He does not have the expertise. He has no idea what he's talking about. Yeah, he has no formal he training in any regards. You know, and yeah. because he's a quote leader, which he was a leader. He was a poor leader. He was a terrible leader because he did not use resources available to him to check his ego, basically. Well, and it, it's funny because when you ask some of his his followers, how do you feel about um, Donald Trump and the stuff he says? And many of them will tell you that they recognize that he's not being honest about literally everything, but they still adhere to him and use his talking points like drain the swamp. And it's like, you'll ask them, so what exactly was drained from the swamp? And they won't have any backup for that. Like, and going back to your point about him being a really shitty businessman, I, I think it was Forbes who had published that article where if he had just left his, his, uh, his, his, fundings and assets alone and not touched it it would have increased without his hand touching it but he did so many like terrible business moves that he had actually lost money like the guy is a terrible businessman and that's i think that's one of the reasons why you can see just from his track record of like 300 uh business him starting only like a handful of them survived after the first year yeah Yeah, i I feel like he's basically a con artist i don't (laughs) I feel like he even it's his persona that he is he exudes confidence okay he pretends like he can't be wrong he'll double down with cognitive dissonance on anything he says yes yeah a lot a lot of his supporters just like the lies I feel like like they acknowledge the fact that Donald Trump is dishonest in a lot of what he has to say or he's disingenuous in what he has to say but his supporters like the fact that that those lies and dishonesty make the right people angry which is what it's really about it's it's like yeah he can he can lie and like shoot for from the hip and all that but as long as it's triggering the lips that's what matters to us i have literally heard that from trump supporters i don't care what he says i just care about the, the fact that he triggers the left and i'm like and you would want that leading your government like why and it's well because i think that that's the way it needs to be and it's like what like but you're why? willing to burn your own shit down nobody yeah. has Nobody it's has a, a real why. It's like a dereliction of duty. You know that you know what you're doing is wrong, but you're doing it regardless to get out of something. There is a word for that in this book. <laughs> Let's see. She's good at putting emotions into words. So let me see if I we can. We had malingering in the military. Malingering. <laughs> I mean, there's maling people who malinger for sure. Oh no, um, it was uh, well, it was something they could they could actually accuse you of malingering. There, uh, yes, there's a lot of um moral even moral rules in the military where you can be tried oh yeah you can be tried for adultery and and be punished with jail time and stuff or in a state if you were not a you you know if you weren't the property of the military you wouldn't Mm -hmm. be tried for that right well and that's the thing is you can actually be you can be tried in three courts in the military you have military courts you have uh federal and you have state but like what they don't tell you is that the UCMJ literally has things that pro- prohibit you from doing certain things that they could try you on, such as adultery, such as um, sodomy stuff and whatnot. But they didn't, you could see the same level of adherence to the UCMJ as one does for like 
how conservatives kind of do things because I literally had met a person named Chief Ellingston who had married a, a, a child um, from Thailand and that was allowed under the UCMJ. However, there was a person who was in an orgy in the barracks who got kicked out of the military because she slept with a married person who was in the, the orgy because everybody in that orgy was was married with the exception of her. So she was kicked out even though she wasn't technically the adulterer, but under the UCMG, UCMJ guidelines, she was. But so were all of them. But the only the only person who kicked out was the Black person. It's literally just conservatism run amok. And that's one yeah. reason why I'm against, uh, whenever somebody asks me, like, oh, I'm thinking about joining the military, I do my best to convince them not to. If they're a person of color, plain and simple. I know, I know a few people who have been in the military and have had really bad experiences and whether it was wartime or not, and um, one, I know a black man who was, and he was like, he was like, he was from, uh, so there's a place out here, which is in the middle of nowhere. It's just like a big cornfield, but there's a university um, here in Ohio. And he was from that area. Um, it's called Wilmington. And he was probably, he told me, I think maybe the only black person you know, his family were like the only black family in the area. And it's a bunch of farmers and then also people who were worked for the university. But he said that they definitely used him because he has a very good personality and he's charismatic and stuff like that mm-hmm. to promote in high school because he was in, I guess, the, the do they have a core or something like that in high schools? Uh, yeah, it's called the, uh, it's called, oh, I'm blanking on it. Um, ROTC. Yeah. R- uh, J-R-O-T-C's. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, so he was, he did that and um, he was an athlete and stuff too. And he said, basically they used him as a recruiting tool for other people and mostly poor people and people who are, you know, uh, either socially um, disenfranchised or looking for some kind of yeah, purpose or financial being, stability. Like, yeah, yeah. What what it, he he like compared it to be like he's like, oh, I thought I was Billy Badass, you know, like yeah, that's how they, that's how they sell it to you. You're gonna yeah. go do all these amazing cool things. You're gonna be getting paid. You're gonna when you get out, you're gonna get all these incentives, you get free and housing, free meals, like you know what I mean, basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Um. So the idea of we were speaking that the idea of people wanting to trigger other people and stuff like that, that is schadenfreude. I think that's how you say it. Schadenfreude. And schadenfreude okay. Schadenfreude. And it is uh, the definition that, that uh, Brene Brown gives here is um, in the case of schadenfreude, schadenfreude, I don't know. It, sim- <laughs> it simply means pleasure or joy derived from someone else's suffering or misfortune yeah is anybody here familiar with um uberto echo oh i know that name alberto um, i know talk about um cognitive dissonance uberto echo was um a history and political science writer he talked about the 14 defining traits of fascism and fascist ideology I think three of them are really, really relevant to the idea of cognitive dissonance. One is the cult of action for action's sake. Mm-hmm. Action being beautiful in itself, it must be taken before or without any previous reflection. 
thinking is a form of emasculation. That's one of the defining features of fascism. Oh, um, wow. Appeal to social frustration. One of the most typical features of the historical fascism was the appeal to a frustrated middle class, a, um, a class suffering from an economic crisis or feelings of political humiliation and frightened by the pressure of lower social groups. And the, uh, the eighth one, which is really applicable, the enemy is both strong and weak. By a continuous shifting of rhetorical focus, the enemies are at the same time too strong and too weak. So in all three of those, you see examples of cognitive dissonance kind of baked into the ideology. And it can be really difficult trying to talk to somebody that has like very obviously contradictory worldviews like going on at the same time um, because either their, their worldview is maybe fascistic in nature or they're associated with some cult like QAnon. But the issue is, is that the, the details of the worldview come after the emotional states. What really matters uh, in these kinds of groups is hatred of the other and all the other facts and details come later. So it doesn't matter if the charismatic leader tells obvious lies. It doesn't matter if the worldview is obviously contradictory. What matters is letting out that hatred and resentment towards certain groups of people. Yeah, uh, that's that's one thing you're saying, hatred of the other. It's like so many people are... Um, that subscribe to these ideologies are bigoted. They believe their view or their experience is the only one that should matter. Um, and that's what should be adhered to. Whether or not it's for, would be helpful to society or would be helpful to any, uh, any other person. They kind of put everyone else in the, there's me and then there's others. And all the others don't really matter. They And they other everyone. It's like, they don't understand the interconnectedness of, of society and how a civilized society actually needs to work also. Um, right. Because or, without, yeah. without that, some people are like, oh, I'm self-reliant. I'm self. No, you are not. No one who lives in the United States, yeah. unless you're living in a cabin, hunting all your own food, maybe even drinking your own urine or something, who knows for hydration, you know what I mean? Stuff yeah, like that. On you others. are absolutely not. You are not. Yeah. And if you're not caring for those others, the people who are, who are helping you in some way and who are supporting you in some way, whether or not you want to believe that, basically your own worst enemy. Yeah, I mean, that's cognitive dis dissonance yeah. definitionally, right? Because a lot yeah. of these people have the mentality that they are raw, rugged individuals, but they also join in with groupthink mentalities like QAnon. Mm -hmm. And it's like the, that's kind of like the libertarian movement. A lot of people are like, I'm libertarian. I'm like, you cannot possibly think true libertarian ideas or ideology would work in our society because it would not it abs it would be akin to anarchy so loose or so aria so now as you as, as you know someone that's studying uh uh psychology and looking uh deeply into like political science where in our history can we find a solution to to basically what is the grassroots of fascism i mean we are fascism is on its i mean it's already happening but like this country is going down a bad path so where in history can we look back and and say and see where maybe we could get an idea of what to do 
um, history, I'm not so sure, but I think a change in mentality is probably important because um, I know I had this mentality for a long time. If you just so show somebody the facts and evidence of a situation, they'll change their mind accordingly. But with, with certain ideologies, like facts and information that comes later, if ever, yeah. What what matters is the is targeting the emotional states. What are these mm. people afraid of? Why are they afraid of these things? And how can those fears and anxieties be directed in more more positive ways? So are we in a way like could like because it seems cognitive dissonance? Like that is like these, it's like it seems that we are most having to go out of our way as they would. They would say, Oh, you're snowflakes. Look, we're having to label this, that, and to, it's like, but now we're actually the ones that are gonna have to go out of our way to ensure that we navigate in society to where y'all don't cause a culture where they don't cause a culture war and a and a cold war. And we have to learn how to talk to them so that we can get into their emotions so we can stop this insanity. Like we have to take up the burden of learning how to talk to literal children who are like <laughs> refusing to accept reality and who refuse to see uh, us as uh, well, you know, see us as real. And it's this people like insolent what? children. <laughs> oh my God. It is absolutely insolent. is in, uh, in this, in this final part in talking about uh, cognitive dissonance, Brene says in these challenging moments of dissonance, we need to stay curious and resist choosing comfort over courage. It's brave to invite new information to the table, to sit with it and hear it out. It's also rare to stay. That was so amazing. We had so much fun today. Thanks, everyone, for being here. Bye. It's great being here. Yeah, it's fantastic. Ah, I loved it. Bye. Oh, uh, it was great being here. Thank you so much. Oh, my God. <laughs> bye. Did I like, bye, bitches. I'm socially uh, awkward, so just so everybody knows. No, I think I don't talk uh, to other humans. I don't. I, I, I work with nonverbal people all day. Like, I don't really talk to anybody. Hardly. They're like, I don't associate bye. with mortals.